Hello all and welcome to another edition of the Mets Maniacs Podcast. I'm your host Ty Wilkes along with co-host Uncle Mike, Mike Bresnack. Uh, today for the show we got on special guest Michael Nunziano. We call him Nuns. Uh, he's a great guest. His energy is unmatched, unparalleled. You really just got to check it out. This guy is a diehard Mets fan. Great guest to have on the show. We'll definitely hear him back here in the future. As always, we're going over our growth segment. This is actually our last guest to go over their predictions for the season. And then me and Uncle Mike... We'll hit you with our predictions coming up probably this Wednesday uh, we'll release before the season starts. So very excited uh, to have this uh, uh, content rolling in, but check it out. As always, you can give us a follow on Twitter at MetsManiacsPod. Check us out on Instagram, MetsManiacs underscore. You can also find us at MetsmerizedOnline.com in the morning brief. If you go to the digital section, MetsManiacs, baby, we'll be there. So uh, before I let you go to the ad break, please go to Apple Review. Leave us a rating and a review. It really helps. Uh, do it for nuns. If you go to our Twitter, too, we have a special little video that's accompanying uh, this podcast at Nuns' behest. Uh, it's great. So uh, check it out. Really excited to air this podcast. So without further ado, let's get to that ad message and let's get rolling. Yeah, so Michael Nunziato, absolutely huge Mets fan. And thank you both for having me on. From Long Island, New York, I'm like 20 to 30 minutes from City Field. So I've been to a ton of games, you know, from when I was young till now. Me and my friends have season tickets now. Um, I can't wait to use them because we couldn't use them last year. Um, but I literally live and die with the Mets. Like, you know, if, if there's a bad loss, like I'm not really good until like a couple weeks later. Or maybe <laughs> if there's a good win right after, but. And, and I'm sure you guys agree with that. Um, but yeah, like the way things go is the kind of dependent on my mood. And, you know, we've probably had more bad seasons than good ones in our lifetimes. Right. So hopefully start turning the corner with Uncle Steve and we'll see how it goes. Oh, uh, no, definitely, man. I think uh, you sent over the best media out of any guests we've had so far, Aaron, in that oh, video. So I think uh, I think uh, Twitter is going to approve of that as well, man. So uh, they, they know how much you love the Mets. I, I certainly appreciated that. Um but awesome, man. Let's let's get started here. So uh, on the criteria sheet that I sent over, I've been asking everybody to grade the Mets uh, on a letter grade from A to F. Uh, you gave the Mets an A minus. Um, you know, if, if you could go into that, too, you talk about, of course, Lindor. Uh, you don't want to handcuff the future by spending too much. Um, maybe just, you know, defend and explain a little bit. Uh, what what are the big reasons you gave the Mets the A minus this year? Yeah. So firstly, you know, so hard to get an A plus in offseason, right? And a lot of Mets skeptics of the offseason were saying, you know, we didn't get the guys we really wanted. Cause like when Steve Cohen officially bought the team, it was like, okay, great, unlimited money. Let's get Real Muto, let's get Springer, right? Um, and let's get Bauer. Um, and we got none of those guys. But that's not the point. I think Steve Cohen in his initial presser said it best, like, yes, we have money to spend now. Doesn't mean we should shell out money and kill long-term growth or just throw it at guys that we don't actually believe in. Um, and it's kind of a case where, yes, like, you know, Trevor Bauer had a good year last year. Has he had um, a great career? Has he had that consistency every year? Absolutely not. Um, so like looking at the guys we did get, um, I think we addressed the right thing. So for example, Lindor, um, obviously um, a great piece in the middle of our lineup now, but addressing like our defensive defensive issues, like across the board, he's a big upgrade there. Right. Um, also that's a movie we would never make in the past. I mean, like, well, that is not even a thought 
Like, oh my God, I can't stress that enough. And to, to get Carrasco in on that too. So I remember being at work, getting the update because it did go silent for a little, remember? With, it was like Lindor at first, you heard, and then nothing really. And then boom, we get him. And Carrasco's coming over for not really great, uh, that like too steep of a price, right? So amazing right off the bat. And then, you know, we address like issues with our bullpen. Like, I feel like I don't hear, when talking about the Mets offseason, when you're just reading on Twitter or just the media, wherever, you don't hear like enough to me about Trevor May or Aaron Loop. Like all these guys we added to the to the pin who could be huge. James McCann. I mean, our biggest defensive issue, I think, was catcher. Going back, I know you guys will definitely agree with this. 2015 World Series. Say the Royals have a single. You might as well automatically put them on second. I mean, Travis wasn't throwing anybody out for his life. So I thought that was a huge addition, not to mention for a very favorable contract as opposed to signing Real Mudo. Um, so that's like, to, to round it up, you know, I think we addressed the right things and we didn't just shell out cash because we had it. Um, you know, we still did what we wanted and what our front office believed in. Right. No, I, I think that's uh, I think that's a really good take. I, I also like the Mets this offseason. They're kind of more creative, more creative than I thought they would be because going in, obviously, Steve Cohen, he's got all the money in the world. We're just going to throw it at big free agents, uh, you know, get Bauer, get Springer, get Real Muto. We're going to sign, sign, sign. That's what we're looking to do. So then, you know, the first major move, I say major, obviously, Trevor May and James McCann were still pivotal moves for the Mets this offseason, but getting Lindor and uh, Carrasco and a true blockbuster move uh, during the offseason was just something that I did not see coming. And I'm just so used to the Mets in the offseason, their blockbuster move, getting some, you know, <laughs> wash up veteran like, yes, like Kadir or Jason Bay. Kadir, dare I say oh, his name, man. Um, you know, <laughs> guys who are like, great, they can be leaders on the team, but they just they, they can't perform. And, you know, they're like 36 or, or what have you. So, uh, you know, the Mets this offseason being able to work with the pieces they they have and not even like dip into Cohen's reserves, I think uh, w- was a great move. Obviously, they still probably had that in mind to be strategic because they know they could sign other players to fill other needs with that cash. But then to use Rosario and Jimenez in a package, not deal any top 10 prospects and, you know, get a guy of the caliber of Lindor. Uh, you know, be a top 10 player in the league and then also address a huge need in starting pitching with a guy in cookie, Carlos Carrasco, uh, who's, who's such a great pitcher. I, you know, A plus, A plus on that move, uh, I, I think was great. You know, something that we've been talking about too, I think still, I, I think just out of pure excitement, I don't think I've yeah. ever been this excited for an offseason my entire life as a Mets fan. Before I knew actually, especially what was going on, uh, even then I think ever, throughout like my life have the Mets have been in such a great opportunity poised to attack the market where other teams were down with cash. We were flush with Cohen coming in. Um, you know, the, the sky was the yeah. limit. So I think we just expected uh, another huge move to happen. So there's definitely maybe like a case you can make that we might be disappointed, but whether that's rational or not, I think that's up to debate. Uh, but all in all, man, super excited for the season to start. Um, but Let's keep moving here. Um, I, I guess going on to, do you have uh, an X factor for the season? We'll kind of jump around too, but feel free to take it any way you want. Or, or rather, let's go to any concerns that you have going mm-hmm. into the start of the season. What would you say your biggest concern is and why? So the back end of the bullpen still concerns me. And, and I, I did mention like, you know, we did address the bullpen definitely, but, you know, I can't say confidently right now. All right. Who's closing us? 
every ninth inning. I, I can't. Um, now, Edwin Diaz last year, I'm still not his biggest fan. Did have a sub two ERA somehow. Doesn't feel like he did, but he did, right? I think it was like 1.75. But, you know, I'm not really confident he's going to hold that role the whole year. I'm sure you guys are considering uh, two years ago what happened. Um, you know, like Batantis, there was rumors they were going to deal him too, just to, you know, get some money out. So I'm still concerned about that back end. I think we added depth. I think we have options, no doubt. Um, I'm just still concerned how we're closing out games. And that's been a problem for a long time. I think if you really look at it, <clears throat> we kind of added three bullpen pieces this offseason. Obviously, the two obvious ones are Trevor May and Aaron Loop. Loop's kind of yep. taking that Justin Wilson role from last year. The lefty, not necessarily specialist, because he's got better splits against righties, but a lefty that can get guys out. Uh, May comes in. May's very solid. I, 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 if I had to guess, he'd probably be our set-up eighth-inning guy. But we're also adding Seth Lugo back in, too. When Lugo went into the rotation last year, that bullpen really suffered. I mean, you had Diaz yeah. pitched well at times. But, like, other than that, it was pretty blank. You had Zellman. Miguel Castro showed some promise at different spots. Uh, he's got really good stuff. There's 100, but he can't really locate. Mm. But I think uh, I think this year, when you add those three names in, you add, you kind of put Edwin Diaz in lower leverage situations. I think that they do have the ability to kind of come together. It's, it's all going to really depend on Lugo, though. He's coming off this, shoulder, uh, this elbow surgery now, so who knows whether or not – he's probably not going to be ready for opening day. Who knows how long it will take before he's actually MLB ready. He's missing all of spring training now, too. So – when he comes back, if he's able to be the kind of lights out Lugo from 2019, he was like a top five reliever, then I think mm-hmm. that's a huge piece added to the bullpen. But yeah, I agree. It is a huge concern. because I feel like the Mets have a lot of talented names, but a lot of names that are kind of in that weird spot where they've had past success and they're like kind of trying to figure it out right now. Like Familia's in that spot, but Tances and Castro. So it is definitely a concern because it feels like that, that like it was a, it was something they wanted to address. They obviously had the negotiations with Brad Hand. They had the negotiations with a bunch of different relievers, the guy who just signed uh, with the Athletics, Trevor Rosenthal. And they didn't yeah. get all of them. So they knew it was a concern going into the year. And I don't know if they're necessarily happy with how they addressed it, but I think that there is promise there, especially today after looking at today's spring training game. And I realize it's only spring training, but Familia pitched a perfect inning. Uh, Diaz pitched a perfect inning. Trevor May would have if the wind wasn't blowing out, but it's just yeah. stuff like that where it just gives you some promise. So, Yeah, Tyler yeah. Walker looked good too. I, I think uh, I just, just, just a point I want to make for uh, the bullpen as well. I think, uh, you know, look at the starting pitching that we have this year with, with better depth. That's definitely going to help the bullpen down the stretch. Now we don't have the crazy season that we had in 2020 jam packing so many games into a schedule, you know, with, with a lot more double headers. Luckily the Mets didn't get it too bad with games getting canceled, but uh, the bullpen was so stressed last year. Additionally, on top of that packed schedule, because we were throwing out guys like Walker Lockett, uh, Oswalt, who would just get blown up some other no names too. So the fact that we actually have more depth, uh, for starting pitching. Cause you know, inevitably guys will get injured or go down for a little bit. Um, we got these guys to come up and we actually give ourselves a chance to win and we don't blow up the bullpen as well. So it's, you know, pitching's all encompassing. So I'm, I'm proud of the Mets in this off season that they, uh, they took the long route, uh, for the starting pitching realm. I think it's, it's a big season for Rojas too. Cause mm. like you just said, we had games jam packed, uh, you know, a lot of back to backs when there was like, you know, COVID situation, so that, that's impossible to manage a bullpen, you know, when you're playing like all these back-to-back games. Um, so uh, to Mike's point, you know, we have a lot of different guys. Um, you know, how is Rojas going to use them? So maybe we don't have to use that one guy, you know, like a lot of teams have the formula of not the one guy anymore. 
Um, so if he can use our guys effectively in the right places, maybe it works. We'll just have to see. But uh, um, like you said, you know, if we can if we can plug in Diaz in a less pressured situation, maybe that's good. And, you know, if we if Lugo can return to that guy he was, you know, maybe that's good. Maybe we put him in for closing situations sometimes. Um, so I'm interested to see how Rojas does because I don't consider last year really, you know, his first season. Right. I think that's a good point too. And then, you know, we'll be, we can have a better gauge on how effective he is as a manager. I think he's liked in the clubhouse. Uh, you know, I think it was kind of hard to judge at least from a fan's perspective, uh, how good is he really at managing the Mets? But I think we can definitely, uh, to your point, maybe no excuses going into the 2021 season. And of course, Mets <laughs> fans, you know, we'll be Hawks on every move you make. So <laughs> for better or worse, also, that's the <clears throat> last year's also, uh, hectic too because if you think about it Jeremy Hefner is a new pitching coach their right. hitting coach Chili Davis wasn't with the Mets the entire year because he yeah. opted to yeah. stay home so it's like a new yeah. manager new pitching coach your hitting Cespedes coach walks there. he's gone <laughs> yeah. Stroman's out a week before the oh season like he got Most Mets you know, and he's ever. thrown into the role obviously going back to Beltron so there was just you know there, there was a lot going on that definitely I gave Rojas the benefit of the doubt I think he did you know as well as he could have in his role in 2020 but now that we have more pieces together I'm excited to see, you know, how he'll manage the team, how much he'll take control. I think, uh, you know, that's something that I'll be keyed in on uh, to see how powerfully he leads the Mets, you know, not in an authoritarian way, but just in, in a strong-willed manner. I think uh, he's been in the Mets organization for a while, but to gain that confidence uh, for him to make the decision to pick, you know, what's right, um, you know, that, that'll be interesting to see over the course of a full regular season. Um. So let's move on to uh, question four here. Uh, I liked your answer. This is for biggest strengths and weaknesses going into the 2021 season. So how about you start with your biggest strength? Well, I, I put Gary Keith and Ron, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah huge. Huge. <laughs> so, so obviously we, we come off as completely biased as Mets fans, but like they get voted they multiple, win awards. multiple times in a row, best announcers in baseball. And it's, it's crazy. Like their chemistry is, and even in now, like the, the games they're doing right now, like they're in midseason form. It's so funny. Um, but um, no, I mean, our biggest strength, I actually think is our starting pitching again. Um, that was kind of like our MO when, you know, all of our pro original prospects came up. So like, you know, RIP, but Matt Harvey, um, when he first came up to Grom, Syndergaard, we started Stephen Matz. We got to get all these guys. That was so Healer. exciting, right? Right. Yeah. Oh my God. But uh that was so exciting. But so that's what, you know, RMO was back then starting pitching. That's how kind of we made that run. Right. And we kind of held on for a little bit, didn't work out injuries and so on. But, you know, now I think we're getting back to it. So like last year, like think about our starting pitching, like completely different Mets team, Rick Porcello, Michael Waka, like what was going on there. Now we got Carrasco back. Right? Syndergaard's going to take a little but you know, hopefully June we'll see. And hopefully he's, he's healthy and ready to go. And, you know, Peterson pitched pretty well last year too. Um, so I, I saw a stat um, right after the whole Bauer thing, you know, all of the Mets five projected starters have a better career ERA than Trevor Bauer. And that's excluding Peterson because obviously only one season, but um, so I'm excited to see the Mets get back to that uh, part of their game. We, we kind of addressed the bullpen. So I'm going to leave them out. So I, re I really think the starting pitching is kind of our strength. I'm not confident in our hitting enough yet to, to, to make them our biggest strength. I think the pieces are there, but we, we have to come up in those big runners and scoring position moments still. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And that's something I've said before in the podcast. Uh, you know, we've, uh, I think we had the highest batting average, at least in the national league last year, but we finished 
seventh in runs scored uh, around those numbers. So again, we we're getting the hits. We we're getting guys on base, just couldn't drive them in. I think over the course yeah. of a full season, we will see these guys batted in. I think you kind of saw it with Alonzo too. He finished the year, I think with 16 dingers. So that's on pace for like 42. Uh, so, you know, I think he was starting to heat up. Uh, obviously people say it's a down year for him. I, I'm fully confident Pete will, uh, you know, in quotes here, but bounce back over a full season, be able to drive in those guys. Again, it doesn't matter where they are on base when Pete's up. Um, but just looking at our lineup, like it is, it's exciting to see, you know, what Nimmo, McNeil, Lindor, Conforto, uh, Alonzo, uh, you know, even McCann to see what these guys can do. Uh, Dom Smith. How could I forget? Yeah. Um, you know, I think he'll continue his success. He's had some good at-bats so far in, in spring training. Um, so this is a, an offense that I think really is poised to be a top three uh, National League offense, not top five maybe in all of the majors with the guys that we have on the team. Uh, but again, you're right. I think in players like Nimmo, we've seen shades of greatness. Um, but to fully put all the pieces together, I think is something we're waiting on. He's had great years. I'm interested to see if McNeil can start hitting for more power. Uh, yeah. I always thought McNeil could hit for 20 plus homers. So we'll see what happens. He hit a shot, uh, I think a week ago for spring training. Game one. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. That's, that was great. Um, but it'll be interesting to see one quick note on Gary, Keith and Ron. I mean, I love him so much, but I remember in uh, 2012, I think I was laughing at myself because our team was obviously just a train wreck. And they had nothing to talk about. You know, it was a dog day in the summer, the end of August. And Keith was talking about how he preferred his, I think, charcoal grill to his gas grill. Or might have been vice versa, but that was the topic of discussion. It was barbecue. And I was locked in because as Mets fans, you know, we not only get great coverage for the game we're watching and the Gary Cohen calls that will make the hair on your skin stand, but it is like a long forum podcast you get three hours every game just to hear the the guys chat about whatever. So, you know, it's, it's, it's truly a gift we get every game. Um, it's like a history lesson sometimes. I mean, so you get, like you said, the great calls and then you have, um, you have Ron and, and Keith who, who are on one, one of the most historic teams ever. Yes. They only won once, but there was so much like controversy around that error and that team. And they just have all these good stories and you learn so much. Um, and like the comedy of it is just insane sometimes. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, Let's not forget uh, Howie Rose and Wiener and Dazza too on the radio. Yeah, you're right. Point doing dirty. Great point. Steve Gelbs is growing on me too, Mike. I've told you this, but I think <laughs> Steve Gelbs is a character. At first, you know, uh, I think I was just I was a big Kevin Burkhardt fan. I still am. Me too. Uh, he was so great on the field. So big shoes to fill coming in. Um, I'm not sure if he was the direct transition, but anyways, I think uh, he's been uh, rubbing off on me recently. I think he's got a, a, a huge heart. So. I think he's a goofy guy, but but great to have in the Mets squad. So all in all, man, announcers and team, I'm I'm stoked for this season. Um, let's talk about the division now, though, too, for predictions 2021. So I see you predict the Mets here at 93 and 69. Uh, I like that prediction that puts us in first. Uh, you got us over the Braves, the Nats, uh, Marlins, Phillies. Do you have any note you want to make on you know um, how? afraid you might be of the Braves or any other team you think in the division that might be poised to make a run? Yeah, I, I do hate doing this because I'm such a superstitious, like, weirdo sometimes with this. So, like, putting them Not in first, it's already in my head. But um, obviously I had to. And I, I, I do believe that the Braves I'm, I'm most fearful of. Um, you know, like Freddie Freeman, yes, like the MVP. But uh, aside from that, there are times where I feel like he's the most underrated player in baseball. 
Like you hear about Trout, you hear about Tatis, you hear about, I feel like you hear about Acuna way more than him. And when I watch Freddie Freeman play baseball, both sides of the ball, defensively and offensively, it's magical. Oh, and, and off the field, like he's a great guy. You know, I he's so I, I think likable. He plays the game right. He's so likable. Like he's he's oh amazing, man. You're, you're right. He he normally does get left out of those conversations. It's like obviously not last year. Uh, he he was recognized. Um, but you know, uh, I think guys like Acuna just and again scary with Acuna, Albies, Freeman, and a guy uh, whose name is Travis Darno, who won the Silver Slugger, a catcher for uh, them. Um, I know. I can't stand and, him. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, an, another tough move. Uh, by the Mets, but again, think that had to happen. Um, Definitely. but right, yeah, he still I, can't throw anyone out. It's fine, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, agreed. And I think the Braves pitching staff, too, is uh, you know, it'll we'll have some great games down the stretch. And our last series is actually against the Braves in the first three days of October, which could prove uh, pivotal. Wow, um, but either way, I think we're poised to be a, a wild card team. Obviously, we don't have expanded playoffs, so it's mm. more important to win as many games as we can, especially in division. Uh, but again, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be tight, man. I do. So, it, you know, I say we're we're most fearful of the Braves, but it's it's by no means a top heavy division. Like the Marlins weren't were in the playoffs last year. You know, expanded, but still, they're they're finally coming around, and their farm system is looking phenomenal. So, you know, everything Jeter did initially that he got killed for is actually like coming to life now. So, I think all teams in our division actually do have a chance. I think it'll come down to, you know, a few big key games, key moments, and obviously injuries. So, like, you know, if we, we can avoid some of those, like we usually don't, um, I think we'll be okay. But this is going to be a tight race. This is – I don't think the last team in the divisions, you know, you're going to see, like, the Marlins usually, you know, 20 games back or anyone 20 games back. I think it's going to be a very tight race all the way through. I totally agree. You know, as long as Lindor doesn't go Lowry on us, I'm uh, going to knock on some wood. Oh, I can't believe God. I even stated that. But, um, <laughs> no, right. I, I think uh, the Mets have also struggled to beat the Marlins. It's, it's felt like at least the last couple of years. Yes. So there's really no series, I think, especially within the division, that we can count on. Uh, as wins so uh this is a team i think that needs to be on at all times but i think we're capable of doing so so um so kind of playing off that too um biggest s x factor for the mets in 2021 so here we're looking for the mets player that you think has the biggest ability uh to impact the team and you picked uh pete alonzo can you go into a little more depth on uh on that choice there yeah so you know when you do think of the Mets, I, I do think like Alonzo is one of those people who comes to mind already in his young career, get granted with like his rookie year and how great it was with the 50 plus home runs. However, like you kind of said, not really a sophomore slump, shortened season and all COVID back to back games, uh, the fatigue, a lot of goes into that season. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to put a lot on that, um, but he's someone who not only, you know, can get hit some big moments and driving a lot of guys in the middle of the lineup, but he's also like our big energy guy. Like when he's playing well, he is going crazy in that dugout. And I feel like, you know, I'm not there, but I feel like he's one of those guys that his teammates love. And when you hear like his, his YouTube show that he has, you know, his teammates uh, really feed off his energy. So if he can bounce back and, and, and show what he showed rookie year, you know, I think the sky is the limit with this team because even around him, you take him out of this lineup, this lineup is still good. That's the scary part. So if you put him back in, he bats 30 points higher than he did last year, which is not really asking a lot. Um, and he, and he can stay on the same home run pace, get a few more key hits, you know, not try to kill the ball with someone on second and one out, maybe just, you know, hit one, hit one up the middle, hit one in the gap. Um, 
think it will be a little better. And, and to Mike's point, you know, uh, you know, Chile, Chile wasn't with them last year. Um, I'm a big fan of Chile, but uh, I, I just think he can booster it, obviously with his talent, but his energy is something this clubhouse really feeds off of. I like that too, because you think about it, you have Nimmo and Lindor who are likely hitting in front of them, who probably both will finish with a 380, 385 on base percentage. So you have Pete Alonso come up at least once, maybe twice a game with runners on base. Like if he performs well this year, drives in 120 ribbies, I think that's like a recipe for success right there. Yeah, he has so much more protection in this lineup. And, and so many guys, to, to your point, can, can get on base. Ty, you mentioned before with Nimmo, like we've seen flashes. But even when the guy you know has bad stretches, he, he finds a way to walk and, and sprint the first base, obviously. But it, it's crazy. And, and a, a lot of these guys can get on base. We do have to avoid the strikeouts a little. But um, so much more protection in this lineup. You know, As long as we can stay healthy. I think he can just be a little more comfortable. He did look so pressed at times last year when, when he started off in that slump, he, he could tell he was really pressed at times. Yeah. I think he was just trying to do too much. Uh, and I think, again, that's something can, that can come from a, 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 you know, a younger mindset on the team. But I think now to your point too, with more weapons around him, some of that uh, stress I think will release with the Mets, hopefully scoring more runs. Uh, so that'll just cycle and compound. And something I love about Pete, even when he's going through bad stretches, you can see he's very hard on himself, but he never, he takes that out on his teammates, you know? So I think that's a true leadership quality that I love 100%. to see in him uh, at such a young age too. I think he can bring that in as he grows with the Mets. He's a guy that's already respected in the clubhouse. So I'm excited for his, for his future with the team and going to Nimmo. Yeah. I think he's had two seasons, uh, full campaigns where he's put up a 404 on base percentage. So I don't think there's any reason to believe he can't do that again. Um, you know, he, he typically ranks, you know, top 10 in, in the majors, at least for those two seasons in OBP. So, um, you know, that's, that's huge when you got guys like Mike said too, with Lindor McNeil, who's obviously hitting for average, putting the ball in play uh, mm. gap guy, and then Alonzo to drive them all in, you know, it makes definitely for a lethal lineup. Um, so yeah, like, like that take for Alonzo, obviously would love to see him hit 50 plus dingers for the year, get the batting average up a little bit. I think that's huge. Um, now we're going to transition over into uh, some fun things. We're talking about memories here. And for this segment, as a Mets fan, you've had, uh, as everyone has, some very bad memories. And then also in contrast, some very good memories. So let's start with bad memories here so we can end on a high note as we do. Uh, so what, um, maybe just a couple, or if you can, I see you got one here that I've talked about on another episode too. But what are some of your worst memories as a Mets fan? So just to preface, I remember like the first episode you guys had, you kind of just kind of started with like memories. And I was like, yeah, like, this is exactly like my mindset when thinking about the Mets. So that's how I started listening to it. But um, yeah, so like, you know, obviously for me, losing the World Series was a bad memory. You know, that that series was a little out of hand from the start. Um, but, you know, we, we got so far and to not win it is just, you know, so unrelenting. So. But, you know, singular moments like Luis Castillo does it for me completely because not only is that so embarrassing, like dropping a routine fly ball for a guy who like in his career was like good in the field, actually. Um, and right. but that's the he, only memory that sticks in my head. Right. Is him dropping yes. that ball at Yankee Stadium. And the right. worst part is like just being you guys really like anywhere in the tri-state area. Like the, the best part about New York sports is that there's a rivalry amongst you. Right. So you have the Mets, you have the Yankees, you have the Islanders, you got the Rangers. Right. You got you got the Knicks and the Nets now are sort of. Meh. But um, and you have the Giants and the Jets, you know, 
going to school the next day sucked, you know, <laughs> and being a Mets yeah. fan, you're always like, you're in the minority to begin with, you know? Yeah. Oh my God. You know, 27 rings, blah, 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 Steinbrenner, whatever. Um, and, and just that, that part of it's the worst. Cause like, especially when you're younger, you're more about like the bragging rights, you know, it's obviously a little different as you get older. So like, you know, plant like subway series, it was a huge deal more when you're younger. Like, obviously it doesn't mean as much. They're always fun. It doesn't mean as much for like your division or anything, you know, with the Mets and the Yankees, but um, that was one that really stuck out. Um, it's a pride thing, man. I didn't, my best friend was a Yankees fan. He lived next door and uh, I don't yeah. want to talk to him for a week after that. Cause I just didn't want to hear it. You know, I couldn't, and I wasn't in a state to be hanging around people in general after that drop ball, but like I, I did not Very get the true. flack from, from my boy here. So I get it. I remember, uh, I want to say this is like, this wasn't a year we were good. I don't think it was like 2012. We had the bases loaded, no outs against the Phillies. Daniel Murphy hit into an unassisted triple play. Like that only happens to the Mets. Nobody else that happens to. Like I couldn't. Oh my God. I I think I remember that, man. There was particularly bad games too. I remember just when we would get beaten like 14 to one and you know, I'd have this like weird kind of reaction to those horrible losses where I'd like to listen to like, uh, um, you know, any, anybody talking or Terry Collins in the post game, for example, like listen to his rants on the Mets because he could kind of it was like therapeutic because he could yeah. vent out to the world in the way that I was feeling, you know, because you yeah. get so irrationally upset about this team. Or if we talk about um, even last year, I think we were playing the Yankees, maybe in a double header or we were up seven two. I remember and Diaz came on, he blew the save. And like, I was just in shock, but also like I knew deep down in my heart of hearts that that exactly was going to happen. It was like, I was watching my own death that I like saw in a vision. I had like a premonition beforehand and then was just watching it play out. It was horrible. Um, so they take time to get over, man. But, um, but that being said, let's, let's hop over to your favorite memory here. What, um, what do you got for us? So when we made the world series, when we clinched the Cubs, uh, I remember calling my dad just saying like, we made it, you know, like so many bad years. And then like, we, we did it. And like in a crazy fashion, cause the Cubs were such a, like, I guess at the time, kind of young, but like, like a very a scary um, team. Yeah. Prominent. Like they had all the sexy players, like, um, you know, they Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, uh, back Violence. to back, like scary yeah. lineup. And Arietta was like the guy that year. Mm-hmm. Um, and we swept, we not only swept them, we killed them in those games. Oh my God. Um, so that was so satisfying. And then, you know, just, just finally getting over that hump just felt so good. Um, as far as personal, like personal singular moments, um, I'll tell the story. I told you Ty over text, uh, Mike, you haven't heard this, but, uh, the Todd Frazier fly me to the moon game. So the Mets are down three. Um, against the Nats, it's in the it's toward the end of the year, so it is actually kind of a big game. We're sort of making like some sort of run, and um, a few of my friends leave. Like half of us decide to stay. Uh, like half of my friends are Yankee fans. Half of them just go to like drink beer, really, and then some of us care, right? So um, the rest of us who are staying are watching, and Todd Frazier comes up, bottom nine, down three, and we have two guys on base. But I'm so mad. Because every time Todd Frazier would come up, I'd be like, oh, my God. Because, like, I didn't even – at that point, I didn't even want him on the team. And there were games where he batted fourth that year. And I'm like, oh, what are we doing? But 
he comes up and his walk-up song is Fly Me to the Moon. And this is no hate against Frank Sinatra. Don't get me wrong. But your baseball major league walk-up song is Fly Me to the Moon? I mean, like, can you get pumped up less from that? So me, me, not just my friends, everyone are kind of like section. We are way high up in this game. We're like three rows from the top in the outfield. Um, and so we're, we're, we're kind of making fun of that, right? And Because we're, we're upset he's up and we do not think we're winning this game. And then he just hits an absolute missile, <laughs> like almost to us. Right, right down the line. I was going to say, you're in left field, right down the line. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. What a shot. Um, and it went out the yard in like two seconds. And then everybody is singing, fly me to the moon, right? <laughs> so then you fast forward in extra innings. Conforto walks it off, right? We immediately hop on the Long Island Railroads right to the city, karaoke bar. We sing Fly Me to the Moon together. <laughs> um, That's awesome. So, That's and then time. every time Todd came up, you know, I, I still have a little smile because of that. That was a bomb. Uh, no, I, I remember exactly. I was telling you this too. Uh, I was just sitting upstairs on my couch, but I just remember exactly where I was. And then like what I was doing, because my roommates were watching, like, I don't know, some like finale or something. So they're like locked in I'm on my laptop, just like still have to watch the end of the game, do a little pitch. And I remember, and he ripped it down. I couldn't believe it. You know, I was just like, moving back. I was like a squirrel. Like I, it was one of the better <laughs> wins, dude. I think I've ever seen just like, I've never been more certain we were going to lose a game. It was almost like when Diaz blew the save, but just swapped. I was like, yeah, we're just, I have to see the last out whenever. Right. So, yeah, that was truly a joy, man. As a Mets fan, that's a, that's a game where you know, where you, where you are, where you watch that moment. hundred percent. Uncle Mike, um, where were you? <laughs> what are you on the spot was, right now? I was with my, uh, I was at my girlfriend's house and her dad's a huge Nats fan. She's from Maryland. And uh, I remember, I remember feeling very, it was, it was in the middle of the stretch when the Mets won like 13 or 14 games. Uh, so I remember being very yeah. optimistic about it. Yeah. And uh, we started off hot in that game. I remember and then we kind of gave up the lead in like the seventh or eighth. Uh, and then, yeah, uh, two guys get on a Frazier comes up. I'm like, come on, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Then he hits that. He was like really early on like an off speed pitch too. Yeah. Swing wasn't a good swing. It was like a one handed swing. He's lunging and everything, but he just gets <laughs> a time. barrel on it and uh, smokes the ball. And I remember going absolutely nuts and he's just sitting there and he drops his hands, his head into it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you guys remember this game, but um, it was actually at Nats park. Um, Hold on. Sorry, just a client phone call. Um, I was actually at Nats Park uh, because, like, when, when we were all in Maryland, that's, like, what I would do. Like, the Mets came to town. It was actually pretty cheap, too. Um, so we're playing the Nats. This is 2015. And this is, like, right in the middle of the year when we actually, like, become legit. Like, this is going to be a race for that at least. Um. And we go down seven one in this baseball game. Yeah, that was we. Yeah, man, that was when Michael Thomas hit a ball up the middle and went under Cespedes' yes. glove oh and got the inside the park grand slam. Yes. Yeah, I don't know how that wasn't scored as an error, but different story. So that game, so mad at Cespedes, but then for he a little for it, bases loaded. Yep, rips a double down the line. Everyone scores. Um, and right where I was sitting, I, I can show you the picture later. It's on Facebook somewhere. Newenheist hits that home run to take the lead, Shit. like 10 rows behind us. And you could see us like going crazy, even on TV. Um, so like, that's a, like another game. Like I kind of mentioned before, like, I'm just yeah. glad I stayed at. Cause like, if I left, like that's one of the best you know, games I've ever been at. 
Yeah, I remember. And then because Storin was walking the world on their team, Drew Storin. Yes. Uh, and then, oh my did, God. Did Neuenheis hit that off of uh, Papelbon? Or am I thinking of another game? Because I remember I that whole it, series was just crazy. I think it was Papelbon because I think they took Storin out right before that because he walked like five guys in a row. Like oh. he just, like he had the, the yips. Um, I think it was off Papelbon. I think you're right. I loved Kirk Neuenheis back in the day. Oh my God. The Low guy key, was, he was a very good yeah. ninth inning hitter. Like not a great rest of the innings player, no. but I don't know. No, I, yeah. I just remember him always coming through somewhere. I remember he had a, like he had uh, three homer game uh, yes, against the yes. Diamondbacks. I believe. I think one of the first ones at City Field was Kirk Neuenheis. That's knowledge, which is crazy. Yeah, that yeah that that was a great moment. And I think like to round it off, a few others that weren't like uh, you know especially great games, but um, I uh, Mike Piazza getting retired. Um, oh. I went to that game. My dad. Loved Mike Piazza, the kid. So my great-grandmother, her maiden name is Piazza, right? So when she was in a nursing home, oh, yeah. uh, all her friends would, would like, they knew my name was Michael, right, or Mike. But they, they didn't really see me or, or know who I was. They thought I was Mike Piazza <laughs> when they would ask how Mike's doing. They literally thought of me somehow was Mike Piazza. So that was kind of cool. But <laughs> <laughs> you should have ran with it, man. That's great. That's yeah. Great. And then the, the David Wright's last game. Um, like if I wasn't sitting next to like my friend, if I was like alone in my house, I would definitely have been crying. Oh my God. No, I was. Uh, and I did. So yeah, <laughs> I get that, man. Uh, we've had some, we've had some good ones, but, but all right, man, we're, uh, we're coming to the end of this uh, free 40 minutes that were allotted by zoom. Um, so thanks so much for coming on nuns. We appreciate it. Uh, we'd love to have you back on in the future. That was great. Um, and yeah, I'm sure a lot of mess fans are going to appreciate your takes, uh, good, um, memories and bad memories, but, uh, yeah, it was a ton of fun, man. Appreciate it. No, uh, Ty, Uncle Mike, thanks so much. Like, uh, when I started listening, like in my head, I was like, oh, I'd love to go on here. So thank you for just giving me the chance and hopefully I see you guys soon. All right. Yeah, uh, sounds great, man. All right. Take care, dude. Thanks, Mike. Thanks.